Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we need you today. We open your word and um, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, Lord, hearts and minds to perceive and to believe, to grasp, Lord, the, the energy that you would energize us to obey and to carry out your word. Lord, we're discussing urgent matters and we ask that you would move, that you'd be glorified. We praise you for who you are, for what you've done. We thank you for the truth uh, that you've given us, the truth about um, your son Jesus and what he's done on our behalf, how you loved us and sent him, Lord, and let us respond in a right way. Uh, let us see it fully that we can respond uh, with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength, with all of our mind, all of our being. We would respond uh, to your good news and live lives that are pleasing to you, we pray. That you help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right, well, it's already been a beautiful morning. It's, it's awesome to see uh, the young families, to see them in the church, to see parents committed to raising them. Um, and, and it's important. We've, we've actually recently gone through, uh, we went through a series where we looked at marriage and discussed the role and importance of marriage, um, the role of husbands and wives to one another. And then we looked at uh, families, a biblical understanding of families. And uh, this is just a testimony of that. It's not, the, the state doesn't own your children. It's not the state's responsibility to raise their chil- your children. Um, God put them into your household, and he's entrusted them to your care. And we are here to help you. The church is here to help you. Youth ministry is here to help you. Um, there are resources available, but you're accountable um, to how you raise your children, and that's a weighty responsibility, uh, and God help me, I just, you know, I'm preaching to myself, I need God's help, and, and there's things in my life that I want to straighten out, and areas I want to do better, but God's given us that responsibility, and now we've looked at uh, the series, We Are the Church, and understanding, um, you know, that's, as a, a believer, that's our identity, we're understanding who we are, and how things appear from God's perspective, and really what we want to do, I was thinking about this morning, and my prayer was that we would believe the Bible as it wants to be believed, and we would obey the Bible the way that it wants to be obeyed. This is God's word given to us. And sometimes we want to make the Bible, turn the Bible so that we can believe it in the way that we want to believe, what we already believe. And we want to obey it so that we can do what we've already been doing. Um, and we need to come humbly before God's word. I'd, I don't want to go long, so, but I felt like that was important to say. So uh, we have, I have a guest here today that I'm really excited to introduce and to allow them to share. So I'll try not to go too long. So we've been looking at this series, We Are the Church. And, and Tom uh, taught and, and brought um, from 1 Corinthians 12 that we're many parts, but we're one body. You know, when we talk about the church in the Bible, um, there's different pictures, word pictures that God gives us. Sometimes he talks about we're, being, we're living stones being built up into a temple. He talks about us being a royal priesthood. Um, he talks about, uh, scripture talks about us being the bride of Christ. And it talks about us being the body of Christ. And it's important that, uh, to know that we were purchased for, for Jesus' own possession. Uh, I have a little Bible study that meets at my house with my kids and their friends on Sunday nights. And... We've been going through Titus, it's a short book, but I had to memorize uh, or challenge them to memorize uh, Titus 2.11. 
And this is just, this is the gospel. This is Paul summarizing the gospel. He's giving us a phrase. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself, I want you to pay attention to this, uh, Titus 2.14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. Some translations say a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, who boil to do good works, to boil to do the work of Christ in the world. And that's what Jesus has done. He's purchased us. So we looked at how we have, there's many parts, there's gifts that are given, and they're given not just for our own pleasure, for our own selfishness. They're given, it says, for the common good. You're given a gift to use for the good of the body and the good of the lost, the good of the world. Also, I'd note in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul writes about the fivefold ministry. There's apostles and there's prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers who were given to equip the people for the work of service. So you're the church. You're, there's people that have a, a title or a position, and their job is to equip you to do works of service. Uh, my dad taught from Hebrews chapter 10 uh, how we're people of the gospel, and we have to hold unswervingly to our profession or our, to our, our confession. And we need to stir one another. We need to not forsake meeting together, but we need to come together and to stir one another up to, for love and for good deeds, to do good works, to fulfill that Titus 2.14. And as uh, he was teaching, I was thinking about Hebrews uh, 10.23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And I was thinking about that word profess, and I looked it up in the Greek, and I may mispronounce it, it's homologia. So the prefix means same, and logo, logia, is where we get the word logos. Like in John 1, in the beginning was the logos, the word. It means we, we confess or we profess the same word. It's where we get the word logic. We have the same logic. The church's people who believe the gospel, and that's their underpinning, that's their foundation, that's their cornerstone, their bedrock is the gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus. That should be the very thing that we build our lives on that influences and permeates every action we take, every decision we make, every relationship we have. And so that informs our marriage, how we live out our marriage. That informs how we raise our children, and that informs how we behave in the world, and especially when we come together as the church. We have the same confession. The gospel is our bedrock truth. And when we come together, we're supposed to not forsake meeting together, but we remind each other, and we preach it to ourselves and each other. Last week, I loved, they sang the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, That He Would Give His Only Son to Make a Wretch His Treasure. All week, I sang that to myself. I, I need, that needed to be my, that was my bedrock, that is. That, I needed that continually so that I could remember to live uh, a life worthy of the calling that God has called me to. And this week we're looking at Romans 10, 14. I'm watching the clock here. I'm trying to be quick. Uh, if you have your Bible, please, please turn to Romans 10. 
uh, the weather's beautiful. It's very nice outside. It's very pleasant to sit out. Uh, I would challenge you just to take your Bible and set aside time and just you can read the whole book of Romans. You know, I can't preach the whole book of Romans this morning, um, but you you would do well to read that and just soak that in and meditate on it. And so we're at Romans. Really, we're looking at the verses 10, 14. um, And the role of the church is to proclaim the gospel to the world. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be a light to the world. We're to be salt. But we're to proclaim the gospel. Jesus gave, we know, the Great Commission. We're to preach the gospel, go to all the earth, preach the gospel. And then what happens is some people believe. You're not told to go make every person believe. Preach until they believe. You preach and people res- some people will respond by the power of the Holy Spirit. God will enable them in that moment to respond. Jesus teaches a principle called the, the person of peace. You just uh, indiscriminately broadcast the gospel and you watch and you look and you see people respond. And then you make disciples you teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught us. That's, that's our primary task. We walk with the Lord, we abide in him, and we do that work. Um, and we see God move. So uh, we're going to be in Romans 10. And I, uh, I have a lot to say. Um, and I, I think I'll just have, I want to tuck that away. But Romans, Paul builds, he masterfully writes this letter to the Romans. And he builds the logic and sets out that the, the confession. He sets out the foundations of the faith. And he starts by saying, um, he builds on this, this, uh, this logic, that this premise that all people have rejected God and suppressed truth. It says, he says that we've, be, through our unrighteousness, we've suppressed truth. And I want to challenge you today um, that we don't be people who suppress truth. You know, a lot of people say they want truth, they want, they want, to, they want to know the truth, they, they want to walk in it. Um, you know, when Jesus encountered Pilate, Jesus said, I came to testify to the truth. Uh, but Pilate uh, kind of sarcastically and um, uh, negatively responds, you know, what is truth? And he walks away from truth embodied. Uh, and some people say they, they claim they want to know truth, but the, the reality is that in our hearts, our sinfulness wants to suppress truth. We want to ignore and disregard truth because it, it makes a claim on our life and it demands a response. And every person uh, has rejected God and suppressed truth. And because of that, then Paul teaches there's a penalty, a wage uh, of sin, which is death for our unrighteousness and our rejection of truth. And, and I want you to meditate on that, that idea of suppressing truth and get into your heart that you want to avoid that that action. I think we have a lot of problems in our life because we want to believe convenient lies and we want to ignore uncomfortable truths. And and we deceive ourselves in believing lies that we willfully continue to walk in. We stay in situations we know are wrong because we don't want to face the truth. We continue in actions we know are wrong because we don't want to face the truth and we make excuses for it. And we make, uh, you know, we, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and, and we remain in unrighteousness because we suppress truth. I have a lot more to say about that, but the Lord will have to bring that out another time. And the good news then Paul brings out 
in Romans 3 is that God made a way for salvation. And uh, maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe stepping on some of your stuff. But uh, if you look at Romans 3, uh, let's look at 21. He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. This righteousness is given through faith. No one can uh, do enough good works. No one can pay their own penalty. We've all rejected God. We've all strayed from the truth. We've all uh, worshipped idols. We've all gone astray. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. And the wage of sin is death. But this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished it. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies. Now that phrase, to be just and the one who justified, uh, you could ex examine that the rest of your lives. But that's the good news that uh, God has given us a way to be saved. And it's only through his son Jesus. There's only one way. There's only one name. There's no other name under heaven. There's no other way. There's no other door that we can be saved, that we can come to the Father. And that's good news. And that is a truth that some people I believe in the church maybe are shy about or uncomfortable with. And that's a truth that has to be proclaimed throughout the world. And we come to Romans 10. And Paul is saying that God has commissioned us, church, to carry the gospel for all. We're to preach the gospel. We're to make disciples. So you can read in Romans 10. 10.9 uh, is a great place to start. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on to say, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? There's a salvation. There's a salvation that's available for all. And we need to preach it to all. Paul said he was obligated to to the Jews and Greeks. He had a debt to them, right? He felt like he had an obligation or a debt. And there's uh, two ways to be in debt. You borrow money from somebody that you then pay back. And our salvation is not like that. We're given something freely that we can never pay back. But we are entrusted with something. This is the other way to be indebted. God has given us this message, this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay, that's for other people. He's given us this gospel, and he said, I have people in the world that are mine, and they're waiting to hear from your lips the gospel, and when they hear it, they will believe, and then you disciple them. You know, I was thinking about it. It's like, imagine you were given a key to a treasure, okay, and it unlocked you know, it unlocked a, a, a box that contained a treasure, but you weren't told 
There were boxes. Let's say there's, you're in a world filled with boxes that have locks. And in some of those boxes, there's uh, just incredible wealth, infinitely valuable wealth. And all you have to do is take that key and you just try the locks. Right? And, and uh, I was thinking about it. That's what it is with preaching the gospel. Okay? Think about our community. Think just about Washington. All right? You have a key called the gospel that you speak through your mouth. And all those people have a lock called their ears. And sometimes when that key goes into that lock, the box will pop open and there is a treasure that all of heaven will rejoice. And you don't have to feel silly or stupid or dumb or shy or backwards or awkward about just sharing that gospel to every ear that will listen. Because you know all the uncomfortableness that you might feel or whatever, the embarrassment. When you find that treasure, it will all be worth it. And church, that's our role. That's our job. And I feel a conviction today to move out more powerfully in that or more, more purposefully in preaching that gospel. God, God's been moving. We've been seeing people come to the Lord. You know, my dad has some cool testimonies. He's been seeing people come to the Lord. Just a couple nights ago at 1130, somebody called him and wanted to hear the gospel and wanted to be saved, and they're getting ready to be baptized. Tyler, Tyler was recently baptized. Uh, Tyler's been visiting with us for a while now, and so he's in the back. He has a young family. Get to know him. Um, that key unlocked his heart. And there's a treasure there, a soul, one for Christ. And so that's our role. I want to get to that. I'm going to turn it over. At, I went, I'm sorry if I went longer than I, I had to. There, I was getting excited about God's word. But I want to, uh, this verse, okay, we had this schedule laid out. This was made a while ago. And an opportunity came where my friends, Todd and Cindy Anderson, they've been here a couple times. They were the couple that Brandy and I went to India to work alongside. I homeschooled two of their children for a school year, and it was one of the, like, highlights of my life. And I'm bringing them up here to share with you. They're doing this very thing. Okay, I want to read verse 15. That's important because it fits. It says, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so they are, have been sent, and they're training and sending. They have a mobilization work, uh, a work that's equipping and mobilizing people literally all over the world. Uh, training them and sending them out, coaching them and discipling them. And I bring them up here, and um, I would say of all the people that I've ministers, believers, Christian leaders that I've encountered, um, they are at the top in terms of stewardship, of faithfulness. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Stewardship of their time, of their resources, of their influence throughout their life. I've known them for decades now. Uh, they're the top two people that I can think of. Two couples that have given their life to the Lord. And so saying that, and forgive me for going a little bit long, but uh, please, they have something important to share. And I would encourage you, if God would lay it on your heart, to find a way to 
be a part of sending them, okay? So you may think, I want to contribute. And I just, I was thinking about this. It's like, if you had a number in your head, like, and it had two digits, add a digit, you know? If it had three digits, you can add a digit because you have a privilege. And I'm telling you, like, you know, there's guys that get on late night TV and they're like, hey, this is an investment opportunity and you can make a big impact or whatever. Like, um, you know, whatever. You can see that stuff online. Like, you can put your money here and it's going to, whatever. I'm telling you, this is a worthy, worthwhile investment of amazing kingdom work that uh, they're doing. So I hope I didn't embarrass you or say anything awkward. But I'm going to invite them to come up and. Cindy's going to come up and share with us. Thank you so much. Well, what a joy it is to be in Washington, Indiana. Yeah, this is where when Todd and I were first married, this was the first place we lived. And we lived in a little efficiency apartment on Main Street. And so whenever we come back here, it feels like we're, we're coming home. And so good to see many of you. Rusty was a youth pastor over Lagodi, right? And uh, we connected back then, and um, so good to see the Rainies and many of you. Uh, as Nathaniel mentioned, stop by the table in the back. We've got prayer cards if you'd like to pray for us. We try to update our picture. We get older every time we come home. I don't know what's the deal with that, but anyway, we've got an updated picture there. Um, pick up a prayer card if you would. Well, Nathaniel told us that he was, uh, he had been talking, you guys have been talking about the mission of the church and uh, what is the church, what's the church supposed to be, and uh, it was so interesting how God had aligned our coming here. We, they didn't know when they planned that, but the mission of the church, as Nathaniel said, is the same as the mission of Jesus. We are his body, and what was his mission? His mission is found in Luke 19.10. There's a couple different places we can find what we would say is the mission of Jesus. But it says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. So what is the mission of the church? To seek and save the lost, right? That's the mission of Jesus, why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. And we as his followers, if we're his disciples, we do what Jesus did, and we become like him. And so our mission as well as the church, as his body, is to seek and to save the lost. Well, how are we doing at fulfilling that mission? How are we doing? Let's talk about that for a few minutes today. I want to share some good news, and I'm going to share some challenge as well. One of the things that's super good news for those of us who've worked in missions for our whole lives is what we call unengaged, unreached people groups, or UUPGs. This means a, a people group with their own ethnicity, their own culture, their own language. Um, when we first went out in missions, there were over 3,000 people groups that had no one working among them. Right? No one. No boots on the ground. Today, there's less than 100 people groups that have no one working among them. Right? Less than 100. And they're, they're pretty small groups that are left. So we've done great as a church. We've sent many people. You guys have sent people out. Other churches have sent people out. And today, there's less than 100 
what we call unengaged, unreached people groups. So that's exciting. Glory to God and good job. We can pat ourselves on the back. But there is a challenge that we still face today as we look at the mission of God and the mission of the church. And that is that there are still 7,417 what we call unreached people groups. That's a people group. They have their own language. They have their own culture. They have their own worldview. And they are what we call unreached. Unreached means there's less than 2% of that people group that are followers of Jesus. Less than 2%. Many of them tiny, tiny percentages. And when we look at that challenge, we see that in the world today, there's 42% of the world that live among an unreached people group. So that's out of 10 people. If I had time, I'd call 10 of you up here to stand up front. And you could think, you know, think four out of 10 people in the world today have no access to the gospel. They don't know a Christian who could tell them about Jesus. They don't have access to a Bible. They don't know where, they may be online, but they don't know where to go to look to find scripture. They have no, zero access to the gospel. Now I know sitting here in Washington, Indiana, that's a little hard to even get our heads around, isn't it? That 42% of the world have no access to the gospel. Recently, we had that big uh, storm in Florida, and we have friends that live down there. Maybe some of you do too. They lost power for many, many hours, many days, some of them. And I thought, how awful. And I've certainly been there in India and in Nepal and in even Thailand sometimes where there's no access to power, no access to electricity. It's, it's something that is not fun, right? It's not good. But how much more important that people have access to the gospel, access to hear about Jesus. Like Nathaniel read that scripture, how will they hear unless someone goes to them? And yet, they're waiting. No one's gone. 42% of the world, 4 out of 10. That's a problem, my friends. That's a problem and something we need to change. So what must we do? There's a little phrase that I had them put up there on the screen. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting what we've been getting. Can you say that with me? If we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting what we've been getting. Say it again. If we keep doing what we've been doing, we'll keep getting what we've been getting. I'm laying out for you today the fact that this is not acceptable that 42% of the world has no access to Jesus. It wasn't acceptable 10 years ago when it was more like 30%. It's a growing percentage of the planet that has no access to Jesus. Now, why is that if churches are being planted and missionaries are going? The reason is because the population growth rate among what we call unreached people groups is very, very rapid. It's, they are multiplying. Their population growth rate is, is very, very rapid. While church growth rate is slow. It's growing, but not, it's not keeping up with the population growth rate. So every day, there are a higher and higher percentage of people who are going into eternity not having heard. Is that making sense to you guys? Give me a raise hand. 
You tracking with me? Yeah. We have to do something different. So what is it that we must do? Well, Jesus' command and his commission haven't changed. His command and his commission are the same as 2,000 years ago when he said, and Nathaniel referenced it, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which I'm sure most of you could probably quote. Jesus said, go and make disciples of who? Of all nations. Go and make church members? No, he didn't say that. He said, go and make disciples. Well, what's a disciple? A disciple is someone who has decided to follow the way of Jesus, to obey his commands. Their complete and total allegiance is to Jesus and to doing what he said to do, to modeling their life after his. Jesus didn't tell us to go and build church buildings, though there's nothing wrong with that, and sometimes that's a good thing. But he told us to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize them. And I, it was great to hear about someone who's been recently baptized here. I was talking to somebody last night who led her friend to the Lord and baptized her in a bathtub. And I said, yes, way to go. You know, we are to go make disciples and baptize them. And then what do we do? We teach them to know Jesus' commands. Is that what it said? No. It's not about head knowledge. We teach and train them to obey. Say obey. We teach them to obey his commands, including the command to go and make disciples. The implicit, included in the Great Commission, is the understanding that every disciple of Jesus makes disciples. And those disciples make disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a disciple maker. I want to share with you a little bit about what God's doing in the world today as disciples are being trained to obey his, his word and to make more disciples. And what we're seeing is what we call disciple-making movements or DMMs happening around the world. You can see the picture there. What happens? A group of disciples forms, usually a church plan or somebody, or maybe they're a hair salon stylist, or maybe they're a mechanic, or maybe they're a vegetable seller, and they start a disciple-making group with a person apiece, somebody they lead to the Lord. They might start three of those, you know, in their community, and then they train everyone in those groups. How do they make disciples? How do you pass on whatever you've been given? And those discipleship groups start to make other groups that make other groups that make other groups. Here in the picture, you can see a picture of a Nigerian lady. Her name's Inkruka. And Inkruka came into our course. We have a course on how to get started in disciple-making movements. That's online. And you can find out more about that at our table if you're interested. But she found a, an announcement about our course on Facebook felt drawn to it. She took our, did a webinar that I offer online, and she took our course, and she said, this is what I want to do. I want to start making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. She was already passionate about the Great Commission, but never been trained in, actually, how do you do that? How do you go about doing that? Well, she started doing this, and within two years, Nkruka and her team have started 40 house churches and house groups there in northern Nigeria. 
Praise God, in two years, these groups are starting to multiply. They're in the third generation now. We're believing for many more generations to come about. Well, I want to tell you one of the things that NK did just as an example of what we need to be doing because it challenges and inspires me. She was telling me about this on a coaching call the other day. We were talking. I said, tell me what's happening with the people you're discipling. And she said, you know, we, we went into a bar recently, a drinking establishment, me and one of the girls I'm discipling. We went in there, and we sat down. We started talking to people, and uh, there was a lady who came up, and she said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. We come here to relax and have fun and drink, and what are you doing here? You're not the kind of person who belongs here. And N.K. said to her, yeah, well, we came to share some good news. And as soon as we share it, if you don't want us here, we'll leave. But we've got to share this good news that we have for you. Well, I said, okay, hurry up, you know, tell me what you got to say. Starts to share with her about Jesus. Well, this lady, then she, she says, you know, many years ago, I was actually raised a Christian. But I, when I was a teenager, I started dating a Muslim man, and something really strange happened to me. And Kay said, what's that? She said, well, whenever I would try to read the Bible, I would go blind. I, my eyes would blur, and I couldn't read the Bible. When I read the Quran, it was fine. But whenever I'd try to read the Bible, my eyes would blur, and, you know, things kind of, that, that was hard. And she went on to just tell her story a little bit. And N.K. said, well, can you show me? She was kind of skeptical, you know, that, that's really weird. So she pulled out a Bible, and the, the woman tried to read it, and she kind of got this glassy look on her eyes, and she literally could not read the Bible. So N.K. said to her, said, you know, I think we can solve this. Can I pray for you? And she, the woman said, well, sure, I guess so. And N.K. laid her hand on her and started praying, and the woman just, like, ran out the door of the bar just tore out, you know, and so N.K. and Ruth, the lady she was with, uh, Ruth said to her, because she was mentoring her, she said, should I go after her, what should we do? N.K. said, no, let's just pray, Holy Spirit will bring her back, and uh, they waited a little while, pretty soon the woman comes back in, and N.K. asks her, says, what, what happened, you know, and she said, I just felt crazy when you're praying for me, I had to leave, you know, and they said, well, can I pray for you again? I was, something was happening. Let's pray for you again. And the woman agreed, and she prayed for her, and she was completely delivered, set free. They opened the Bible. She read from it. She gave her heart to Jesus right there in the bar. A bunch of other people in that bar gave their hearts to the Lord, and they started one of these discovery Bible study groups right there in that drinking establishment. And today, many more people in that area are coming to Jesus. See, we as a church are not only supposed to tell people come to church, but we need to go where they are and share Jesus with them as NK is doing. We need to take the church out into the world, not just expect the world to come into the church. Well, I don't have a lot more time, and we've already probably gone over a few minutes, but let me quickly wrap up. Ordinary people all over the world are starting disciple-making movements. They're making disciples and training those people to make more disciples. I could share stories with you about what's happening in Myanmar through a vegetable seller. He has over a thousand churches and groups that he's leading. He sells vegetables on the street. Ordinary people. These are not highly trained, 
theologians. These are ordinary people just like you and just like me. I could tell you about Shemesh Shadeen, one of the, the guys that we trained in Siligary. I don't know if Nathaniel and Brandy remember him, but Shemesh Shadeen is one of the guys that we trained and we coached. Today, there's 10,000 Muslims in Assam, India, who've come to the Lord through this DMMs, through multiplication of disciples. He discipled some. They discipled more. It's 10 generations of disciples. People are coming to Jesus. New movements are emerging around the world. And uh, it's exciting. And it's something that God is doing today and something that he's inviting you to be a part of. Again, I don't have a lot of time, but just to share that, you know, when COVID-19 hit, none of us expected that. Anybody here predict COVID-19? It was a big surprise to us, right? Not to everybody in the world, but certainly to me. But it was not a surprise to God. And uh, in 2019, Todd and I were praying, and I just felt like the Lord said, the training that you've been doing of making disciples, I want you to take it into an online platform. I want you to start this online course. I had no idea what to do. It's not something I'd ever done before, but we just obeyed Jesus. We want to be fruitful. That's what we need to do, right? Hear his voice and obey. And we started this course. Didn't know if we'd have five people do it or ten people or what would happen. But today we've had 1,300 people take our course, including people right here in this area that we came here to meet. We met with last night. People in 91 different nations, and they're being trained in how to start these kinds of multiplying disciple-making movements. Uh, you can skip to the next one on the sons of Issachar. I want to close with this. In First Chronicles 12.32, it says, From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of the tribe with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the time, and they knew the best course for Israel to take. I'm not going to go into the backstory of what was happening in those scriptures, but just to challenge and exhort us today. We need to be the kind of Christians, the kind of disciples who understand the changes in the world today. We're listening to the Holy Spirit, and we know what to do. We're ready to get busy and do it. It's time for us to wake up, sitting in a church seat in an auditorium is not what it means to be a disciple. It's a good thing to do on Sunday morning. I encourage you to keep coming, keep doing that. But being a disciple of Jesus means that we are active in obeying his commands. We are doing the mission of Jesus in this world in a practical way and in a daily way. If we are a disciple, we will find ways to be a disciple maker. This morning at 5.50 a.m., my phone went off, the alarm. I was already up because I'm usually up. But at 5.50, my alarm went off. And what happens at 5.50 every day is I pray for five people that I'm discipling and training so that they, too, can make disciples who make disciples. N.K., the person, the Nigerian woman, she's one of the five. I pray for them every day, and I pray that they will have at least five people that they will disciple and train until they can make disciples. If I had time to sit with each one of you, I'd ask you, who are your five? Who are the five people that you're discipling? Maybe they don't yet know Jesus, but you're starting to share with them. You're loving on them. 
and you're believing they're going to become a disciple. Maybe there's somebody who is a believer, and you're training them and teaching them the word of God so they too can go out and make more disciples. Who are your five people? Do you have five that you're training and discipling? What would happen here in Washington if everyone in this church committed themselves to make a disciple of five people and then to teach those five people? Like Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded. What if each one of us had five and we trained those five to make five more? Will we see revival in this area? The revival is not about having a big meeting and a big crusade. It's about disciples getting serious about making disciples. It's time for us to wake up. John 9, 4 says, work while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. It's time for us to get busy. It's time for us to get active. It's time for every Jesus follower to actively make and multiply disciples. The Great Commission isn't just for Todd and I. Great Commission is for you. And you start here. You start now. Who are your five? I want to close with that. I'll ask Nathaniel to go ahead and come. But I want to pray for you. And I want to just, you know, I, we're not here to condemn. We're just here to speak the word of God and let it fall where it does on your hearts. But if there's anyone here today who'd like prayer, I'd like to pray a prayer over you, a prayer of impartation. Like Nathaniel said, Todd and I have devoted our lives to making disciples of those who've never heard before. And he's calling some of you to be disciple makers. And if there's anyone who'd like prayer and you'd say, Cindy, I, I don't have five. When I try to think of five people that I'm discipling, it's hard for me to come up with those five names, but I want to do that. I want to disciple others and train them so they can disciple others. I want to see that kind of a movement take place here. If you'd like prayer today, I just ask you to stand, and I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just... Just stand, or if you want to come forward, and uh, I'd love to pray for you as we close today. You say, I want to obey Jesus' command. Come on, you guys. This is the word of God, like Nathaniel said. I want to be, it doesn't mean you know how. It doesn't mean you think you're going to be an expert at it, but you say, I want that. I really do. I want to make disciples. I want to obey his command to make disciples who make disciples. And you're saying, Jesus, teach me teach me. I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to you. I want this. I want this today. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. As God begins to do this through you, he's going to bring change to this area. I really believe God has an inheritance here. It is no mistake. It is no mistake what he's begun in this place and what we see and that we're coming back here 30 years later bringing this challenge it's no mistake God's doing amazing things in this area and he's going to do more and he's going to do it through ordinary people like you and like me if a vegetable seller in Myanmar can start a thousand house churches why not you why not me let me pray for you Lord Jesus I thank you I thank you for your command that you gave so many years ago 
And Lord, you never command us to do something without giving us the power to do it by your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, when we look at the need, it's absolutely overwhelming. How in the world could we address the need of 42% of this planet who don't know you or even have access to you? But Lord, your word says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so I pray for my brothers. I pray for my sisters today. I pray an impartation of disciple-making upon them. I pray for an anointing to be disciple-makers, those who lead others to faith in you and then train them so they too can lead others to you, Lord God, and their lives will be changed, their families will be changed, this community will be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for their obedience and even saying yes and coming forward saying, I want this, Lord. God, Lord, you would just just meet them there. (coughs) Meet them there, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Give them disciples. Give them disciples. Give them persons of peace, Lord. Lead them into those divine appointments and those spiritual conversations and open the doors of hearts, Lord. Draw people to yourself, God. Lord, when those people say yes, God, let them step in as a disciple maker with confidence and faith that you're going to use them to raise those people up to be disciple makers of others too. I pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.